Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, November the 18th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and pray the Psalms, Psalm, especially in Psalm 137. This one's a very unique one because it is titled, How Shall We Sing the Lord's Song? Now, for some of you, that might just be a natural thing because you're not a singer, but also for those who love to sing and it becomes part of who you are. It's not asking, will you be in tune? But the Israelites are on the, the river in Babylon and they're grieving because they're no longer at their homeland, no longer able to see the temple, no longer able to worship their Lord in that situation. But yet the Babylonians are like, sing us a song. Why aren't you singing a song? Why aren't you more joyful? Because they were grieving. And what I love about this psalm and why I'm so excited to study it today is that there are times in our life where we don't know how to move forward, especially with our relationship with the Lord. And this psalm is for you. As we grieve, he moves us forward. And then there's some points at the end with imprecatory, meaning that in your grief, you say things that maybe you wouldn't normally say. And yet we lift it up to the Lord. For today, let's start praying. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back regular guest Pastor Stephen Teist, who I believe is still vacancy pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Teist, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, sir. And yes, I am currently still serving as vacancy pastor for the folks down there in northern Cape Girardeau County. Wonderful. So. Well, Pastor, it, it, I tell you this. Yesterday, we were not able to connect right away with our guest, and we, we did great. I mean, Pastor Rickard came back on. So I'm just happy to have you on with us right at the beginning. So that is a joy well, for me you. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Emmanuel? Well, we have a variety of things going on that... Uh, Emmanuel, uh, the uh, congregation goes through an annual uh, process, as many do, of, of filling positions for leadership and service in the parish for boards and committees. So uh, tonight the nominating committee is getting together, and after some prayer and deliberation, asking God to guide them to people who can be nominated, ask those people to consider serving uh, for the good of the church in the coming weeks. And again, this is part of our, our uh, as Christian people using first article uh, gifts and, and processes to carry out the work of the church. You know, having a, a structure in your church is permissible. Scripture doesn't command a particular type of structure. Uh, it doesn't say you must have bishops. It doesn't say you can't have bishops. It doesn't say you must have a voting assembly. It doesn't say you cannot have one. So, that, you know, we as Christians make choices. And over the years in North America, uh, Lutherans have tended to go more with a voting assembly of some sort, maybe a whole congregation meeting or a voters meeting, or some have a council that uh, you know leads the church. But basically, we we try to find ways to do the work of the church in the communities we serve by coordinating and organizing who we are in Jesus Christ with the gifts the church has, and those are the people of God, the Word of God, and the sacraments. So those gifts are always there. Our challenge is simply to say, how do we make use of the gifts? the best way this time around. So that's one of the things we're preparing for Thanksgiving to celebrate God's gifts, of course, and then Advent season begins right after that, looking ahead to 
the first coming of Jesus as we celebrate Christmas, but focusing in particular in these days, I think, always required to get special attention to the second coming because he will come again. And the signs, he says, will be earthquakes, famines, wars, and rumors of war, which have been around for a long time. But every time I see or hear these things, I'm going, okay, this is a reminder, Jesus is coming. So so how do we prepare for that? And part of this psalm for today is built around the idea that God made a promise, and God keeps his promises. We'll dig into that in more detail when we get further into the psalm. Uh, but for my family and, and uh, our activities, we, we have uh, some family members in from out of town. They live over in Joplin or in Oklahoma. They came in last night. They're going to stay over the weekend. And then my uh, children and grandchildren plan to come down, visit with us over the weekend, see their aunt and uncle, cousins, etc., etc. So we, we try to gather together because we have a, a familial connection through blood, uh, birth, marriage, etc. And at the same time, we always remember the, the bigger familial connection of the Christian church around the world, people that are persecuted, attacked, unable to gather with others the way that we freely can, both just to visit with one another, but to assemble for worship. So when we think about the people in Babylon and what they were saying, we see that persecution of God's people has occurred throughout the centuries, different times for different reasons, and based on God's word and promises, we'll dig into what we have to look forward to, what God said is coming up for you and me in, in Jesus our Savior, too. Well, you said quite a bit there that I think for you, our listeners, and for all of us to keep in our prayers, first of all, is the leadership within our congregations. Um, that is always uh, can be a stressful thing. Like you said, there's a lot of freedom that we have with that. And it's an opportunity for all of us to join together in, in, in the Lord's work. And so pray for your leaders. I had a a member here that was a major part of the call process when I accepted the call to this congregation. And one of his comments when he last served was he had served on boards for 50 years and which I was just, Oh Lord have mercy. You know, he obviously had people praying for him and at the same time he said, it's not for everybody. And, and, and that's a, I think that was a good quote, a faithful man, but it's not for everybody. Not everyone is, is ready for that or equipped for that, if you will. And it's good for us to be able to say, Lord, Help us to find who we need to find and to uh, uh, let people use their gifts, like you said, to the glory of God. And secondly, Thanksgiving's coming up. So we give thanks for a week from today. We celebrate Thanksgiving and ultimately give thanks to the Lord. And that's part of our psalm today is to how do we move forward, like you said, when maybe the joy is not surrounding us the way we would like. And so that's today. Since we're doing the psalms, Pastor, I will pray the psalm. So I'll, I'll read the psalm. Um, for you, our listeners, remember, this is praying. When we are reading the Psalms, uh, we are praying. When you're doing an intro, it maybe in your congregation, or you're reciting the Psalms back and forth with a litany, you're praying. And the Holy Spirit fills us, and so may the Holy Spirit fill us today as I pray Psalm 137, and at the end, uh, we'll do the Gloria Patri and come back to get your thoughts, beginning thoughts, Pastor. So let us begin in prayer, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon... There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. 
Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions on this psalm, Psalm 137, um, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. So as you look at this psalm, there, I mean, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride. I mean, I say this a lot on the program because Scripture mm-hmm. does this to us. You have, feel the high, you feel the joy, and then all of a sudden you go down, and then you're like, whoa, what just happened here? So how would you summarize this psalm and start us off on the right foot, Pastor? I, I would say this is a, a place where we recognize that this psalm was written during the exile, during the time that the, the people of Israel were suffering the consequences of having had a, well, leadership, and then even a culture, I'll say, that chose not to give attention to the Word of God and the warnings of God. And as a result of that, God had done what he said he would do way back in the days of Moses already, that he would allow another nation to come and to remove them from the land of promise. And again, Jeremiah the prophet regularly said these words that the Lord would do these things if they did not listen. Um, and, And so what we find here is this psalm actually has the characteristic of being identifying the captives in Babylon. It's distinctive in this way, that it says, as it's being written, either in Babylon itself or after the return from the exile, this is what happened to us, and this was our worship life in Babylon. Things Mm. were this way for us in the land of captivity. And I would say this is going back to Psalm 78 that says, to teach your children in the coming generations the great things God has done, Part of what's going on here is the continuation of fulfilling that word of God to teach the next generation what happened. But part of it is also, in my opinion, as I read the Psalms and looked at the content, it's actually what was said and sung in Babylon as they were there. It's not merely a reflection on the past. It was actually the psalm sung in a time of sorrow and pain and separation. And I will say repentance as well. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and in the process of saying those things, we'll, we'll dig through some of the words, but to recognize that this was, this was a, a, not a psalm of, of praise in one sense, it was a psalm of recognition of the sin of the people, but at the same time, praying to the God who you trust in. You know, it's like Jesus on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, you're still my God. I haven't abandoned you. I'm not giving up this relationship. I haven't rejected God. But the, the cry, my God, my God, says he still has that relationship of faith. And here the people of Israel in Babylon are having that same relationship of faith with God. And that's why the psalm exists. So as we look at it, we recognize A, repentance, and B, faith, both both closely tied in the process. You know, I hadn't thought 
a ton about the faith aspect, and not faith, excuse me, the uh, the repentance aspect of this. Of course, there's faith in this is clearly there, but repentance aspect. Yeah, they were they were praying, like you said, in Babylon by the river. And by the while they're by the river, they're just grieving, you know, they're, they're grieving. And I think about people that I've, you know, uh, ministered to in my own grief and my own life. There's like places that you go to grieve around the fire pit is a common one that I think about. There's by rivers. We my, my church is uh, just two blocks away from the Mississippi River. And so you have that because uh, you go there, there's barely ever any distractions and so forth. And, and you hear this, you can feel it, you understand it. It's probably one of the Psalms that you can get a context of where they are and what's happening historically, and also somewhat understand when they say some harsh language, like, why are they so mad? Like, what's going on? Well, you know why, because they are currently in captivity. So, Pastor, any other themes you want to bring up before we dig in? Well, I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that it reflects how the people of Israel had failed to hear, and, and I'm going to use the word call on God, remember him. And there's also the symbolism of Zion and Jerusalem that, that rises up again, not so much in the city as a physical place, but as the city as the place in which God has promised. He has placed his house. He has promised to meet people at his house. And the throne of the son of David is to be found in that place where God's house is. And so we see the, the tie to the land. I think for, for you and me, we, we live in places we didn't grow up right now. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we have this idea, well, you, you move and you go from one place to another. It's no big deal. People do it all the time. Right. But this was, this was a different concept because they've been forcibly removed. And in exile, they look back at what they had. You know, don't it always seem to go, you don't know what you got till it's gone to quote a, a song from the, the, the 60s, you know, doesn't much matter. Um, but, you know, tear, tear down the trees and put in a parking lot up. You know, that's the rest of the song line. Okay. But in this process, you know, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. I mean, it was torn down. The walls the walls were breached. The temple was gone. I mean, this is, don't don't it always seem to go, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm -hmm. It's part of what's going on in this psalm. And then they're remembering what they still have. So as we look at that, Jerusalem, Zion, those, those things still physically exist. They've lost what was once there, but they have something else that's, that's valuable, and we'll get into that as we look at the, the details specifically. I'm going to start marking down how many times you quote songs from the 60s, um, because I think oh. you've done this to me before. Um, but anyways, I think of it also in this. First of all, the trauma of moving is there, even if it's not as traumatic as they went through. So when you move, you, you forget, you don't even realize what you will miss before you move. And when you do, there's grief there as well. Um, I always think of it in terms of TV shows, like The Office, the last episode of The Office, Andy Bernard, who's one of the characters, basically said, when I was here, I was always wanting to be there, which was Cornell University in, in the show. And then he said, but now that I'm back there, I'm wishing I was here. I wish I always knew what I would miss when I'm here so that I would appreciate where I am is the language he used. And that's similar, but it's, I think, 10 times more because they were forcibly removed, unable to worship their Lord. And now they're said, they're told, why aren't you singing? Why aren't you bringing out that lyre? Why aren't you bringing out the mm -hmm. trombone? Why aren't you bringing out the guitar? What's going on? And and that makes them even more realize what they are missing as they as they do the psalm. So I think sure. I'm ready to dig in. You ready? 
Yes, sir. All right. So a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Psalm 137. We'll do the first three verses. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. I, this is a part of the Psalms where you can almost feel what's happening. So what 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 what's happening here? What are we feeling as we hear about the the Israelites? Well, we're 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 placing they're they're placing us in the physical location of Babylon, and you know that by the waters of Babylon. If you take a look at a map of of today's uh, Middle East, Iran, Iraq, you have the Tigris River, the Euphrates River, but the Babylonians. And, and their capital city were, were uh, particularly built with canals and, and uh, used those kinds of things as part of their, their culture. In fact, if we think about by the waters of Babylon, we're almost, almost physically carried to Ezekiel chapter 1. And in mm. Ezekiel chapter 1, it says, In the 30th year, probably of Ezekiel's life, we don't know for sure, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month. Okay, so this is, you know, this is specific detail. It, it's... It's eyewitness account, as in, I'm telling you when it happened, and here's where it happened. As I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal, the heavens were opened. And on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of Yahweh came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal. And the hand of Yahweh was upon him there. And so what, what, is, what we see with Ezekiel is he's by a specific canal. This is... We don't know exactly where this was, and keeping in mind that the people of Israel were moved to Babylon, and some of them were at the capital city, but others were in this this canal, this um, region that was, you know, the Hebrew says it was a river in, in Ezekiel, but uh, the whole context of, of what the Babylonians did was they built a, not, not like Venice per se, because Venice is built you know, on a section of of uh, ground that's that's part of uh, the ocean they had a region that was desert but they had made it bloom by developing a canal system and so it seemed to be a beautiful lush place and the babylonians are saying why aren't you rejoicing in this beautiful lush place look what we've done with the desert look what we've done with this dry climate we've turned it into a a paradise not an oasis per se but a, a lush paradise where grass grows and trees blossom and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, sort of, maybe. And for the Israelites, it's exactly not that. And so the, the phrase, by the waters of Babylon, is a direct contrast to what they had in Israel, where there's one river that really significantly impacts them, and that's the, the Jordan River. Everything else is small creeks or streams, and, and they're up in the mountains, and there may be springs in the water, uh, and then hills that come out, but there's no rivers, there's no canals in Israel. It's a, you know, it's pretty much a, a mountainous region, except uh, to the northwest and uh, in the plain of Megiddo. There, there's some some flat spots. But what they're saying is, we were by the waters of Babylon, which are not at all like the waters we grew up with. The waters of Israel would be what you and I would call whitewater type, more rapids or flowing brooks and streams going downhill, whereas the waters of Babylon were flat canal-type structures. These were 
I'll use the word more placid, but also restrained by, by canal walls or, or channels that had been dug. And so by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, because the contrast is the flat, even, level ground. You know, my, my father served for a number of years as a pastor in uh, Bay City, Michigan, which is the Saginaw Valley. And the Saginaw Valley used to be part of a lake bed in various parts of Michigan, unlike parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they were glacial areas and there were kettle moraines and those things in certain parts, but that part of Michigan was actually previously lake bottom, so it's flat. I mean, it's literally flat. You can see miles and miles, and, and things don't roll downhill because there's no downhill. Um, that part of Michigan is much like this would have been in Babylon, where the canals are dug and, and channeled, so that the contrast to Zion, which is mountains and hills. If you live in a, a, a region that has hills and trees and, and you go to a flat, semi-arid, you, you're totally in a different cult, culture, context, environment. We sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. We remembered what Zion was like. And the willow trees are trees that grow, generally speaking, planted near or close to, grow close to a source of, of water. Um, and so willow trees would have been abundant along the canals and, and the rivers there of, of Babylon, but they, they were not abundant in most parts of Israel. There, there were different kinds of trees. So by the willow trees, we hung up our lyres. We didn't sing. We right. couldn't rejoice because we were suffering so much. And, and in the phrase, you know, sing for us, our captors required of us songs, and our, kept, and our tormentors' mirth singing was one of the songs of Zion. Celebrate, rejoice, and they're going, why would we do this? What is there to celebrate or rejoice? Now, you can say this was mocking on the part of the Babylonians, their captors, or it could have been. Well, we've heard so much about the people of Israel rejoicing and singing, and if you think about uh, the scriptural passages about Saul and his victories and David, and the dancing and celebration when they came back from combat, um, you know, the, the people of Israel coming out of the Red Sea, Yom Suf, and they're singing a song and rejoicing. Teach the people this song. You know, these, these traditional praise to Yahweh songs of the people of Israel, and then the Psalms themselves as a book of praise and prayer and, and thanksgiving. Sing us one of those songs. And, and the writer of this psalm is saying, we were crushed. We had no cause to sing, and so we hung up our lyres and we stopped playing music. There was no mirth in our hearts. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. This is, you know, the ongoing challenge. They're in abject defeat, and they're being asked to sing one of the songs of victory. This is, you know, the, the, the irony, if you will, on the one hand, and the insult on the other, um, you know, this is this is part of the problem for them. We remembered Zion, and, and Zion was a time where we were trusting in God or strong and powerful, and the city of Jerusalem built on the hill, Zion, now is defeated. Sing us a song about your defeated capital. Sing us a song about your destroyed temple. Almost as rubbing salt in the wound, if you will, in an yeah. emotional sense. And so they, they, they sat down and wept because they saw what they once had, and because they had ignored the words of the prophets, 
who said repent, they received the words of the prophets who said, unless you repent, you too shall perish. Oh, wait, that was Jesus who said that, wasn't it? Okay. So, you know, now we're, we're back to this, this understanding of what does it mean to not repent? It means to bear a consequence that's crushing us. So, that, those first then, three verses bring that to my mind. It brings, it brings so much that the, the tapestry that you presented to us is absolutely phenomenal because it, it, it gives us a landscape, which we all can remember those kind of um, moments, the smells, the look of such a river that isn't like this beautiful Colorado River. This is kind of just a, a very plain Jane, you know, place, like you said, flat as can be, much like northern Minnesota that we have here. And, and you're sitting there and they're like, why aren't you guys singing? Why aren't you guys playing? You hang up your liars. What's going on? Tell me about the good old days. And you're like, I'm not going to talk about the good old days because I'm not in the good old days. And I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sing for you. I don't want to play for you. I don't want to do any of these things. So you feel the grief. And that's for you, our listeners, that, that if you are in that time of grief, you can relate. And we all who are going, have been, and will be in grief, this psalm is a gift that the Lord's given to us for the sake of when you are in grief, here's a psalm for you. The Lord allows us to grieve. He allows us to say these kinds of words. And he reminds us of the promise, like you said, the promised land and the promise that we have in eternity with him as well. Pastor, anything else in those first three verses? You've said so much. It's so wonderful to bring us all to the level of where these people were. Any thoughts? Any other thoughts? Yeah, the, the, the phrases, there are captors and our tormentors in the ESV. Uh, the, the actual word captors is, is more those who carried us away captive. It actually has, mm. has far more the sense of they, call, they hauled us off from Zion and brought us here, not just our captors. They, they carried us away as captives, and they plundered us. They plundered the city. They took the gold and the silver from the city. They took the temple and tore it down, and Nebuchadnezzar brought all those special uh, vessels for worship out of the house of Yahweh, and now they're in the treasury sitting there in Babylon. And, and these people not merely tormented us, they actually plundered what we couldn't touch, what was forbidden for the average Israelite to handle because it was part of the worship life. These people just hauled it off and stuck it in a, in a closet somewhere. So there's, there's that level of these people who ask us to sing are the ones who are putting us in the position of not being able to sing. So there's this, this contrast of... You did this to us, but you don't understand what it did to us. And at times, I think we, we have that challenge of saying, we don't realize what we've done to other people. And so we have to stop, step back and say, how have I hurt or harmed another person? How can I come to them in a way that says, I know I crushed your spirit. Please forgive me. Help me to lift you up again. Of course, the Babylonians weren't looking at it that way, but you and I as Christians see that possibility as, as the Lord leads us to repentance and recognition that we have hurt others. So we, we see here a chance to grab a hold of gospel in the middle of this particular psalm. And that's what we pray for. As you mentioned, this is a, not only a grief or a, a time of precatory uh, grief, lament, but also a call to repentance. And I want to touch more on that on the other side of our break. We are praying Psalm 137 with Pastor Stephen Tice, and we'll be right back. 
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. And welcome back. We are praying and studying Psalm 137 with Pastor Stephen Tice. And as I said before, Pastor Tice, he's done his homework. He's able to, like I said, create a tapestry for us to understand what's happening in the psalm. So I invite you to call in if you have any questions or send us an email. Call in 314-821-0850 or email us as well. So Pastor, as we look at the first three verses, we really get a picture of what's happening and what the the feeling is, the background, the place, what is being asked of them. And we can look at this ourselves. It's much like if you're in grief and someone says, hey, let's sing our favorite song now. And your response is, um, no, um, it's almost, but if you were dragged away, I mean, imagine this even worse. You were dragged away by those same individuals who said, hey, get out that piano or get out that trombone or why well, pray trombone. That's why I keep mentioning trombones. Um, <laughs> get, get that out and let's sing the greatest and most happy song you can think of from your childhood when you're not in your home. You're not you don't whatever it might be. That's exactly what's happening for them. So, Pastor, I think we're ready to move on to the next three verses unless you have something else. No, no, let's let's move ahead. All right. So verses four through six. And now the question, I mean, it's a great question right at the beginning about singing in a foreign land. Four through six. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So he, he begins with a, a rhetorical question, which I think is good for all of us. How, how am I going to sing in this situation? What is he telling? Or what, 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 are they, what are they bringing out in these words? Well, part of what he's, he's saying is responding to the thing for us from the previous verse. But, but the question would be, okay, in this foreign land, how will I sing the Lord's song? Which is another way of saying, which song of the Lord of Yahweh shall I sing? And the, the question really comes back to, this is not a time for rejoicing or celebrating. What do we have? Well, we have two things. One is the call to repentance. But then the other one, what has God promised? And if you go back to the promises God has made, and I'm thinking in particular here of the prophet Isaiah, you know, chapter 9, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to come out of, of Galilee of the Gentiles is this, this righteous branch who's going to come and reign. And, and this one will sit on the throne of his father, David, and, and he's going to sit on that throne forever. Now we are, we're here in Babylon. What should we focus on? We have to remember Jerusalem. Why do we remember Jerusalem? It's been destroyed. It's been torn down. But there's a promise God made about that city. And so what promise do I go back to? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, now that's not just the city itself, but that's a reminder of all God's promises made to his people and to the city of David, uh, the family of David, rather, and the place where God's house has been built by Solomon. If I forget you, let my right hand forget its skill. 
Well, what's that right hand used for? It's for strumming the lyre. It's for singing. So there has to be a connection that says, I'm planning to sing one day, but how shall I sing? Well, I'll have to sing in light of what God has promised, not what my current situation is. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And what the, what the writer to the Psalms is saying here is it's not about me personally, and it's not about how I feel at the moment, although how I feel matters. I have to remember that there's something more than just how I feel. It's what God has done and what God has said. Going back to the city of Jerusalem when David first you know, conquered it, took it from the Jebusites, and, and he counted the people of Israel, and uh, you know, God sent the pestilence. You know, David's request was, you know, uh, three years of the enemy oppressing you, three months of famine, or, or three days of God's, God sending a, a pestilence and death among you. And he said, let us fall into the hands of God, so give us three days. And then the, the angel of destruction stops at that, that threshing floor at the top of the hill above Jerusalem. And David mm. buys it, and then later Solomon builds there the temple. This is the place, then, where we remember, we rejoice in the fact that God has made a place where he can meet his people and where the offerings are given and accepted. And one day, you and I looking ahead beyond what this psalmist sees, God himself will stand among his people and say, Come, you who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you water, living water. And the one who comes to his, comes to his people, and the Lord shall appear in his temple. Well, this is, this is remembering Zion. And so to remember Zion, we remember that God made a promise. God's clear and definite promise is, I'm going to see that David's family has an heir that reigns forever. And here they are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's destroyed by the Babylonians. Now they're carried off to Babylon. So what must I remember? Not the city, not the environment, not the beautiful buildings. And what did Jesus say to his disciples this past Sunday? He's reading from Mark. Look at the beautiful buildings. Look at all the temple grounds. And Jesus says, yeah, and one stone won't be left upon another. It hasn't been torn down. So getting back to what you remember, the word Jerusalem is not so much the city. It's the place God has made promises to his people. And, you know, thinking again about Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, says that he's going to deal with those who are not listening to God's word. And this problem of disobedience will be carried out. And we see it in the destruction of Jerusalem. But there's more promise beyond that. And it's the promise of Isaiah that a remnant will return. And the promise of Jeremiah that God will put a new covenant together and everyone will remember the word of the Lord. And you won't have to say, know me, for they will all know me. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth means I can't sing. You know, it means I can't play the music and I can't sing the music. And so after just saying we couldn't sing and we couldn't play, now he's saying, wait a minute, I can sing and I can play, but not at the request of my captors and those who torment me. I sing in response to who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do for me now and in the future. And for you and me, this is the same thing. We focus not so much on the place, you know, think about this for whatever it's worth. Uh, the, the parish where my, my dad grew up was uh, out in uh, Wittenberg, Missouri, right on the Mississippi River. And the church was uh, founded and officially built a church in 1920. 
the building itself was built in 1920, and they celebrated their 50th anniversary in 1970, and by 1985, the church was destroyed by floodwaters and torn down. The building's gone. You, know, you can drive up and see the, the spot in the road where, where it used to be. There's a little sign there. But there's no, no church there anymore. The congregation disbanded. The members joined other churches in the area. I still know where it was. I can drive people right to it and point to it and say, that's where it was. I worshiped in a building that's no longer here. So does this cause me joy or sorrow? It causes me sorrow at one level because the building's gone. But I have joy because from that parish, that building, came pastors and teachers who went out and shared God's word in other communities and passed on this good news of God's rescue of his people, of a God who says, if the building collapses, I'll build a new building, and it will be a living building, a living temple built with living stones, and Mm -hmm. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone. And and since that cornerstone is solid, you can trust that the the true living temple, you know, the Apostle Peter talks about this, we have this new temple, this, this place that can't be destroyed by human hands because it wasn't built by human hands. And so for me, this is one of those you know, connections that I look at the remembering Jerusalem. Yeah, it was, it was a city and a place, but it was also a place of God's proclamation of his word. And that's constant. That's continuous. Even when the city is destroyed, God's word is still constant. So for me, I look at this. How do I, how do I sing and how do I play? Well, I remember God's promise and where he came to us. You know, that's very helpful because I've had numerous situations where uh, a member or a fellow pastor or others were grieving the reality that their church either closed during their time of ministry or somebody grieves that the church that they once, that they grew up at is no longer what it once was. And you capture that beautifully of within this context of the people aren't grieving the building. Like, remember how beautiful, I mean, they are in one sense. But there's more to it than that, because in that building, that church was the promise of God, the mm-hmm. word of God, where I confess my faith, where I confess my sins, received that forgiveness. That building is clearly different than the school I went to or even the home I grew up in. That had a distinct reality to it. And here, like you said, it points us to a greater Jerusalem. For us in our congregation, this Sunday, we're going to be studying what's what is heaven going to be like, all ages from from our Sunday school kids all the way up to our adults, um, just asking what will heaven be like and to be able to look at that in Revelation 21 and 22 of the new Jerusalem and that new building where the promises have been fulfilled in Christ. That is that is exactly what they're grieving, the now not yet reality that we live with as Christians. And I love the language that you highlight there is, how can I sing now? And the reality is sometimes you don't. I mean, you just don't sing because right now I'm grieving so bad. But he's saying, Lord, in this grief, do not let me um, forget the promises that you have for me. Let me not forget about the future you have in store. Do not let just because I cannot sing, then therefore I will forget the the, the promises of faith that we have in Christ. I mean, I I don't know, Pastor, this is outstanding stuff. Do you have anything more to add? You've already given us so much. Well, the... the uh... The, the highest joy phrase there in verse 6, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, well, what's the highest joy in my life? What's the highest joy in, in your life? Um, you know, for some people, it's deer hunting season. You know, here it is. Yeah. Deer hunting mm-hmm. season's arrived, so the, the highest joy in their life is here. <laughs> and and, and I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, 
And, you know, the people, I know people who love to hunt, and, and I have no problem with them hunting. That's great. We need to control the deer population. I mean, they run into enough cars and cause trouble all the time. We, let's do something about the deer, okay? That's, that's my ecological pitch for the day. Let's help nice. control the population <laughs> rather than damage it. Okay. Um, in the process of, of saying, how do we do this? We place God's word above the, the most important thing in this world. Unless a man love me more than father or mother, he is not worthy of me. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm your highest joy. I am the one who is the new heavenly Jerusalem coming down to man, if you will. You know, what was it that God said? I will dwell among my people, Emmanuel, through Isaiah's words. And now here we have in Revelation the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and there's no need for a sunlight to shine there, you know, signs in the sun, moon, stars, all these things. By the way, did you know we had a total eclipse of the moon last night? I did not. That sounds like a song, um, but also <laughs> total eclipse of the moon. But it also, I did not know that, Pastor. I did not know that. I, I didn't stay up long enough. I don't know. I, where, where at? I guess I don't know where that yeah, was. Was it I everywhere? Think, the southern, southern part of the U.S. was where you oh, okay. were able to see it. And it was, it, I'm trying to remember if it was last night or if it was tonight. Oh, well. Either way, there, there's one of these places where, as Jesus says, the moon will no longer shine. Well, guess what? When you have an eclipse, it's, it's a temporary thing, but when Christ comes back, it'll be a permanent thing. So we set, our, we set our hearts on the highest joy, which is the unchangeable light of God's truth in Jesus, our Savior. Well, Pastor, as we look at that, there's an obvious change in the last three verses. Because at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm with them. You know, I'm with the Israelites. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say that I, can, that I know, because I'm not, I've never been ripped out of my homes and brought to captivity. The last three verses, especially if read out of context, has a you, you don't understand it. You're like, oh my gosh, that's a little mm -hmm. risque in my mind. And so it's important for us. I want to take especially a large amount of time on this. We have about 10 minutes left in our time, a little bit more. Sure. So I really want to dig deep into this and, and what's happening, why it's here, and then and also how does a Christian faithfully do similar words and when do we pray these words? So verses seven through nine. Remember, O Lord against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This, this hits you kind of perks your eyebrows a little bit and makes you wonder what is going on and what does this all mean? How do you want to start us off? Well, I think we'll take a look here at two very important things. One of them is the call to God to remember. Oh, Yahweh, remember. Oh, Yahweh, the one who we call by his name, what are we asking him to do? We're asking him to zekor, to remember, and this is this is an imperative form of the verb. It's a prayer. Remember, O oh Lord. Remember what? The Edomites. Well, these are the people descended from Esau's family, and you know the land of Moab and Edom. As the people of Israel were coming out of of the desert and moving up toward the land of promise, they had challenges with these individuals, and and how they could go through or not go through their land, and then. After the city of Jerusalem is established as a capital, Obadiah writes about how the Edomites 
I'll use the word conspired, but at least allied themselves with the, the Babylonians to attack Jerusalem. Well, what the prayer here is, is simply this, that God will remember his promises. The people of Edom said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Okay, now, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Wait a minute. Who says it's doomed to be destroyed? Well, now we've got to go back to Isaiah chapter 13. Mm-hmm. And when you read Isaiah chapter 13, what comes next in verses 8 and 9 actually becomes something entirely different than revenge or we want them to get it in the neck. It's actually calling on what I said before. Remember, O Yahweh, what have you already told us? And so we go to Isaiah 13. We hear Isaiah saying these things. Babylon shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people and everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Now verse 16 of Isaiah. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. And whose eye? That's Yahweh. Mm. They will have no pity on the fruit of their womb. Their eye will not spare children. And Babylon, the glorious kingdom, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. What the cry here is very simple. We remember what you promised, God. We call on you to do what you said. Not we want you to get them. We want you to be faithful to your word. We call on God to be a faithful God. And, and so for us, we hear words like, get them, punish them, pay them back. This is not a pay them back. This is a God, we believe your promise. We know what you said would happen to us, and it's happened. Fulfill your word about what you said would happen to them, because you say this is justice. This, this is God's statement through Isaiah. I will pay them back, and the Medes will be my instrument to bring this upon them. He talks about you know, uh, Cyrus is anointed elsewhere in, in the, the, the book of Isaiah. So what we're looking at here is daughter of Babylon doomed to be destroyed. It's already determined by God. It was determined before Babylon attacked Jerusalem that God would destroy Babylon through the Medes and the Persians. And so the writer of the Psalms here is saying, God, keep your promise. God, keep your word. Do what you said you would do not because we want you to get even with them, but because we now know that you carry out justice as you determine. Jerusalem's been destroyed. What did Jeremiah say? The Lord has told me to tell you that the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the temple will be torn down. And they all got together and said, let's get him. And the, the, the priests and the scribes and the leaders of the, of the religious group hauled him off and, and put him in court. And the next day they meet in the, court, in the gates of the city and the rulers, the princes, the elders of Jerusalem listen and say, nope, God told him to say this stuff. There's no, no charges to hold him on. You know, he's, he's bringing God's word. Let him go. And so they release him. Well, the promise was Jerusalem will be destroyed. And their people were saying, oh, no, you can't say that. Jerusalem has to be preserved. The temple is here. And Jeremiah's statement, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You keep crying out that the house of God is what matters. No, it's the God whose house it is that matters. And for you and me, this is also true. We become so easily wrapped up in the 
the activities of the church, the congregational life, and pastors have this great temptation to think life is about the parish. No, life is about the shepherd whose parish this is. Life is about the shepherd who cares for his sheep and now calls us to walk in his path. And, and the writer here of the psalm is saying, Lord, we want to walk in your path. Now, your path calls us to repentance, and you had to destroy our city to do it. Now we want you to carry out the rest of your promise, because we believe your word is true. If we didn't believe your word was true, we wouldn't be sitting here in Babylon not singing about ourselves. Now we're singing about you and Jerusalem, your place of promise. And so the, the statement here, blessed shall be he who repays you for what you have done to us, not because they're repaying you, but because they're God's instrument. Who does the blessing? God does. Who enables this to happen? And, you know, when we look at history of the world and ask the question, you know, well, how come certain nations rise and how come certain governments are in power? The answer is God allows it. And so we have to ask the next question. Well, if it looks evil to us, why does God allow it? And the answer is often to turn people's attention to him and away from the created world. Because far too often what we all do is we begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. And so if you destroy the created parts, the creator is all that's left. And that's part of what happened with Jerusalem. And God's calling you and me to recognize that too. Um, you know, I've read a couple of books about electromagnetic pulses and what they would do to our ability to have this phone conversation right now. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd be devastated if that were to happen. And people would begin to die from lack of medication that has to be preserved in refrigeration, all those things. We take them for granted and forget that they're gifts from God. Well, the, the writer of this psalm is saying, grant your blessing to the one who does what you appoint him to do because this one is God's instrument. And that's why that last one, verse 9, blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. They're not blessed because they've dashed the little ones against the rock. They are blessed because God has chosen them to be his instrument. And this is the problem. We have a sensitivity that says, oh, God couldn't act that way or God shouldn't act that way. And as I was telling somebody yesterday, we have this, this human tendency to remake God in our own image mm -hmm. and, and the, the need to make God one who wouldn't dash little children to pieces is part of our making God in our own image. I, I struggle with this personally all the time in the sense that I know it as a fact, but I have trouble recognizing it in myself. I don't deserve anything good. I deserve to be dead. You know, I, how am I doing? Far better than I deserve. Well, how is that possible? Because God is gracious and merciful, long-suffering in his patience, and, you know, forgiving sins and iniquity and pardoning people. He does that for you and me constantly. What we find here in the psalm is the psalmist saying, God, keep your word just as you did with destroying Jerusalem. We believe your promise. The rest of the promise was you're going to let Babylon suffer because they worship false gods. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, you read some of that stuff going on there, and he talks about the true God and the God of heaven. Is he a worshiper of the true God or is he simply uh, hedging his bets? You know, we can debate that another time. This isn't the time for it. But in the process then, we have a clear statement that the God who rules all things uses different people at different times to accomplish his purpose. And what Jesus says to you and me is, now I'm with you always. 
go out and be the light of the world because you are. You are the salt of the earth. Go out and be salt. Be who you are. And as you do that, I will accomplish my purpose. Make disciples or disciple all the nations. Teach them what I've taught you. And here in the psalm, we hear this call back to what God previously said. I remember what you said, God. Remember what you promised. Carry out your promise so that your justice is done. And then the world can see that Babylon did not win. Babylon was God's tool. By destroying Babylon, God shows that the Babylonians weren't more powerful. They were just his instrument. And along come the Medes, and they're his instrument. And then, of course, Daniel's vision of the the, uh, statue with the golden head and the clay and iron foot mixture at the bottom. You know, that's all part of this God keeping his promise thing and showing that the real power is in God and not in a political entity. So part of what we see here at at the end of the psalm is the call on God to show the world that the power is in God and not in any particular political or national identity. And that's true for you and me as well. I've heard it said that the devil, Babylon, enemies were triumphing, but they were never triumphant, is, okay. is a way yeah, that we good. live as, it's, it's really good, yeah. And, and, and that's a good thing for us to remember that we ask the Lord, remember your promises, because you know what? He does. And he, but yet he invites us to start that process of prayer to, Lord, remember your promises, which we clearly see in Christ. And I do think there's one little gospel handle we can have as we see the little children um, being dashed across the uh, against the rock is that understanding of, okay, I grieve that. That is something that's still going to be hard no matter what how I see it. But also to understand even more so the depth of God's love for us because it was his one and only son who was sacrificed for the sins of the world and the grief that is there as well. And thanks be to God for that gift. Faster, we have about a minute left. How would you summarize this chapter, and when would you uh, encourage people to read it? I would, I would summarize it this way. There are times when life is, hits us in the face with, with what we've failed to do correctly and God's allowed us to encounter the consequence, sometimes personally, sometimes collectively. And at that moment in time, we we simply sit back and say, God keeps his promises. If I don't see God being good at the moment, it's not because God is not good. It's because I do not see. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Open my eyes to see what you're doing and help me continue to trust your promise that you are with me always to the very end of the age and that in Jesus Christ, my life is securely hidden with Christ in you and I'm fine no matter how bad it looks. And that's, that's, I think, a place for us when things go wrong to say, God's promised. He will keep his promise. Help me, Lord, to keep focused on your promise, not on my situation. And when would you encourage someone to read this psalm? I would say read this psalm whenever you've had a major disappointment in life and you think everything's over, because it's not. Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, bringing us God's strong word from Psalm 137. Pastor Tice, thank you again for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Saints of our Lord, keep praying. This prayer is incredibly practical for us because we know that we'll have disappointments, as Pastor Ty said. And in that, our, our, um, our statement, our proclamation is, God, remember your promises, which we know we have in Christ. What is destroyed here will be resurrected one day because we know that Jesus who died has risen from the dead. Alleluia, even in our grief. And Lord, help us through those times. 
I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.